0: Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj Show. So we're going to call this one the Christmas edition or the holiday edition. Why is because I want to give bonus material. When I hear a hot topic, I think I want to actually put it out there to kind of spawn conversation. So once again, what is the Dr. Raj Show all about? It's all about being yourself. It's about talking about medicine, being at the bedside, talking things that are both medical and non-medical, things that affect society. So what is this hot topic I've been mentioning about? Well, it has to be around COVID-19 and it has to be around vaccines. In fact, I got my vaccine yesterday and, you know, my left shoulder is still feeling a little bit achy. But kind of spawning off the topic of vaccines, there is definitely one Population where there are big question marks about what do we do with their vaccinations. And I'm talking about individuals who are pregnant. That is going to be a hot topic because to throw out some facts and stats right now, there are 4 million live births per year in the United States. And when we talk about trials for the COVID vaccine, you know, there are none. And just recently, The American College of Gynecology, ACOG, they just made a statement that said vaccines should not be withheld from pregnant women, especially if they're at a high-priority group. And what is a high-priority group, that would be the next question, are going to be people in the healthcare system. With that being said, today's guest is going to be actually one of my very good friends who is in the healthcare system, is actually a nurse practitioner here at USC, So one thing I do love about having the Dr. Raj show is I get to talk to my friends all the time. And today's guest is actually someone I've known for, I think, seven years now. I met her when I was working in the Norris Cancer Hospital at USC. And, you know, why is she so amazing is because she's humble. I asked her that, hey, do you have a list of your achievements and accomplishments? I know she has a lot of them. But she said, no, it's fine. You know, let's just do this interview, but I got to tell you that she is so compassionate. She shows lots of empathy. She is definitely a role model, you know, to me, when I go and see patients at Norris, and she's immensely, immensely smart, and I enjoy working with her. So today, my special guest is Kim Schiff. Kim, how are you doing today?
2: Thank you for that warm introduction, Dr. Raj. Um, I'm doing well. Here in the hospital today, got a round in the ICU with a certain attending, so um, <laughs> day is going well thus far, but I think, you know, um, yeah, rounding together this morning and sparking some conversation about topics that are going on. Um, no kidding. I'm glad that we got a chance to, yeah, touch on it and kind of talk about some things today.
1: Sure, you know, I know I want to jump into it right away too, but I, you know, I want everyone to get to know you a little bit. So I asked you a couple questions. You know, my first one was, hey, where where did you go to college? And you told me you went to, you know, Mount St. Mary's and you told me that your um what your what you decided to go into was science and nursing. So my first question is gonna be, how did you know you wanted to go into nursing right out of high school? How did that come about?
2: I feel probably all nurses get this question, but when you say you're a nurse, people always ask, did you always know you wanted to be a nurse? And um, <laughs> yeah, I I truly have to say I, I did. I mean, from the point that I started really thinking about what is it that I'm going to want to do, and I think those questions started rising somewhere around the high school period. You know, what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to do? And um, I I always had an interest in in science, in the the field of science, but um, where was that going to take me? Um, And I didn't have any family members or, you know, other members of my family that were in healthcare and nursing that I got exposed to. Um, So I didn't really think about that initially. Um, And then as I was in high school a little bit later on, I was lucky enough to have some role models, not only, you know, academic. Um, teachers and faculty, but specifically I had a friend whose sister was, was a nurse and um, kind of just seeing her, um, you know, come home from work and some of the conversations and really getting a glimpse at what nursing, nursing is, it it opened my eyes. And I think a lot of people maybe haven't had the experience. I never had the experience of having, you know, thankfully of having um, a family member in the hospital and seeing what, you know, to me, what real nursing is where you see people, nurses at the bedside caring for somebody for a 12-hour shift and um, being part of a medical team and a multidisciplinary approach and everything that nursing is. um, I never had that exposure. I had, you know, a routine doctor's visit where maybe I had a nurse in the clinic. And um, yeah, so once once I got that experience of seeing another nurse who was working in in the hospital and kind of explained to me what that was like, just um, hearing it, I was, I knew that that met everything that, that I wanted to do, Um, be challenged, be in some kind of scientific field. But for me, really get to, to care for patients and to get to care for sick people. So um, yeah, once that exposure hit, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I went straight into, straight into nursing, um a
1: bachelor's now, program. Let me ask you this Kim. So, you know, I remember in high school, I you mean, know, I had a buddy and I think he hurt his finger and I, I saw, you know, a little blood gushing out and at a young age I was kind of a little, "Oh my god, I, am I sure I want to be a doctor with, you know, blood and, you know, a fracture here and there?" Were, were you ever scared in the beginning of your nursing school about drawing blood and and seeing gory things? Did you ever feel like during your training you almost maybe passed out or or were you, you know, what? This is the right field for me. I'm not afraid to be poking needles in people and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: No, no, I didn't. I never had that experience of, you know, getting a bit queasy with the blood or <laughs> anything like that. Um, maybe I was just lucky, or I don't know if my eyes were just so wide open to, um, you know, what this field was and and really seeing patients and taking care of patients and whether that meant you know, sticking them for blood or the other, you know, procedures that go on in the hospital, um, really just focusing on a patient and what their clinical experience was like, that all of that got blurred in. I, I don't really know, but I, I do remember that my eyes were just wide open and I was um, really blown away by everything that nursing, medicine, science had to offer as I started in the field and. A little blood didn't scare me away.
1: <laughs> well, you know when we say when we say nursing, you know, I mean there's so many different ways you can go. There's inpatient, there's ICU, there's emergency department. And um, you know when I met you like I said in the beginning of the podcast, it was actually in a cancer hospital in oncology. And um, you know when I when I personally go around in Norris, I always find myself tearing up, I mean quite a bit actually. Um how does one decide to go into oncology, you know, with the with the patients you need to be taking care of and do you find yourself kind of tearing up every day after work when you were there?
2: Yeah, that's also a question I think everybody leans right into when they hear that you chose to work in oncology and with the oncology patient and, not only oncology, but I specifically worked in um, the oncology ICU. So we're talking about now the really, really sick um, cancer patient. Um, but the cancer patient to me is just so special. Um, it's such a special, vulnerable population who um, deserves the best care, the most compassion, um, a really holistic approach. and um, For me, I just felt that I could be really impactful in treating the cancer patient. I think people always just automatically ask, isn't that so sad? Um, And yes, it is. It is sad, you know, but um, there's so many silver linings, and it's such a beautiful place to be in a beautiful patient population. Um, I think specifically for me and my approach to patient care was that, you know, Cancer patients are, they've been rocked by this diagnosis and, and their families are affected and it, it really affects everything and whatever I can do in that situation to make the journey a little bit easier, um, more comfortable, better, whatever, whatever I can do to help them along this journey, um, I'm going to do. And I think that that's where I get... Um, you know, satisfaction and happiness out of out of the job was just, I know that a lot of patients are going to die, but if that's their course, I'm going to make sure that they're well taken care of, they're comfortable, that we've done everything we can, and to make that process the best that it can possibly be for the patient and family. And I think, you know, that's the trajectory of their disease. And They're going to be going that way regardless. So if you can make that even a little bit better, that is immensely um, satisfying. And then I think on the other hand, for your patients who are really sick and they make a turnaround, um, you know, whether that be their disease goes into remission or they're in the ICU septic, really sick, and, you know, they end up walking out, those are also just huge wins that is... um, satisfying. So I found satisfaction on both sides of the the spectrum. Um, And yeah, I get attached to the patients and, you know, feel sad with the families when things don't go well. But I think there's going to be a population of practitioners who are going to work with these patients and whatever you can do to help along the way to make that the best possible journey and experience is really something.
1: You know, that's exactly kind of the answer I was hoping you'd say. You know, in the beginning I was kind of telling our audience, you know, you are an amazing person and you know the empathy you do show in and, and, and both sides of the spectrum on the ones that are not gonna have a good course and and those that do. But you know, I loved when we worked when you're the the nurse, my nurse going to the medical ICU over there, and you know, you you actually decided to move on in your education and you became a uh, A nurse practitioner and i gotta tell you a lot of my friends who are nurses made the same jump and i guess the question is why and and what do you miss from you know being that nurse in the icu i used to ask you every morning hey what's going on over here and and what and how's it now and what is the change yeah
2: so um for me just that continued desire to grow and to have more knowledge growth um, I've been so lucky to work at academic facilities. Um, so in an academic setting, you get exposed to rounds and clinical discussions and all the things that we do when we round. And from a nursing standpoint, um, being, to, being involved in that, you know, was one level, but um, you know, coming up with a plan and then carrying out those orders, um, that, that was one level. But, as I kind of mastered that, the desire for more grew into, you know, how do we come to these decisions? Um, why are we ordering these things? And the desire to have more knowledge to go deeper and to really function at the highest level that I could um, led me to wanna to go back to school and pursue um, an advanced practice degree. So I am so happy in the role that I have. Um, I'm very lucky to be with the pulmonary division, work in critical care. I'm challenged all the time, um, learning every, every single day, (laughs) um, to say the Uh, least. I do do miss that bedside. I can't deny that there's not something special to be said about taking care of a patient for 12 hours consecutively, you know, giving them your full best care that you would give. And and as an advanced practice, um, a nurse practitioner or physician, you're spread a little bit differently and your priorities are a little bit different. Um, So that part, while yes, you can bring compassion, you can bring a holistic approach to the way you think about a patient, you're not going to be there to carry out that plan all day long with them.
1: Yeah,
2: And there's something about that.
1: Tell me this, Kim, you know, you know, when we go see a patient together now, or, you know, when I used to see you when you're my ICU nurse, you, I just always felt the nurse knew the patient the best. You were there, you know, exactly the finer points, the emotions, what's going on while I was getting more of the bird's eye view. And that's why I'd always look to my nurse to really help guide my decision-making because you're there in the trenches. And I think I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, when you go to a higher level practitioner, it's not going to be that hand holding during the day. It's not going to be, you know, forming that strong bond. And is, is, is that what you're saying? Is that what you miss a lot? Do you miss that quite a bit? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that the, there's give and take and exactly to, to really be able to, interpret all the data and make strong clinical decisions, exactly, you're you're taken away by some of the bedside things that aren't really your role at that point. Um, yeah. So yeah, being with the, the patient and getting all those nuances, and there's something really satisfying at the end of the day of walking away and know that you at least made that patient a little bit, um, and from a nursing standpoint, it's a little bit more Comforting, you know, you help that patient in um, whatever way while you were there with them all day at the bedside, and yep. I think so yep. that's one part. And then, you know, when you're going now from a practitioner role, you're you can still say at the end of the day, you know, I did my part to make the patient better whether, you know, you discovered something, you clinically changed their course that's going to improve their outcomes. It's just a different approach. So, yeah, um, yeah. and having to having to turn that off in ways to be, um, to redirect yourself to focus on what you need to focus on, that's a, a learning
1: curve as well. It is. And, you know, I can talk about this all day it's my favorite thing to talk about you is patient care but you know to kind of steer the ship a little differently you know we're going to start talking a little bit about your personal life but uh i wanted to mention that you married another nurse practitioner and i gotta tell you I, i i truly do love your husband in fact if i wasn't married to my beautiful wife michelle your husband would be number two on my list. I love him that much. So, I have to is, agree. He's pretty great. Yeah. So um, do you guys, I'm sure you get this question, but I got to ask you, do you guys just talk shop uh, at the kitchen table at night and kind of compare notes? Because he's a, he's a critical care nurse practitioner like you are. And is there a little competition? And who's the better nurse practitioner?
2: <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I will have to give it to him. I will.
1: But, oh, um, I didn't <laughs> yeah, want you to say that. Definite- I wanted to, I want you to take your free shot in there. You know? I know,
2: right? <laughs> oh, we definitely do. Um, I don't know longevity of the marriage, whether that will be a good thing or not, but um, we definitely talk shop. Um, I think that for many people who are in medicine and who really have a passion for science medicine, that it, it runs through you. And and it's exciting. And um, when you have an interesting case, or you have something to talk about, we're both genuinely interested. So yeah, we talk shop um, to not only run things by each other and kind of learn from experiences, but just because it's, it's interesting to us. I think that's both a, a passion for both of us. So yeah.
1: All right, Kim, So here, I'm gonna put you on the spot again. So let's say you're talking shop, who would be the first one to say, Hey, let's switch the topic and put on some Netflix. Who would you say? Uh, <laughs> you
2: know on. what? This is this is a good one because it's probably whoever's the one who's not presenting whatever the thing the case was for the day. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that does sound cool. Okay, now let's put on something. But the role's reversed. Um, <laughs> it might be the other person. But not to say, as we did last night, that yeah. what we put on Netflix is not going to be a medical-directed show. Because last night we watched Surgeon's Cut. Have you seen you that? We did. We <laughs> did. Oh, um, and it was an episode on a fetal-maternal surgeon who was performing intra-uteral, intrauterine um, procedures. And he intubated, pretty much intubated a um, fetus while in utero, to put a balloon dilatation, and we were both just our minds were blown. Like, did that guy just wow. intubate a fetus in the embryo?
1: It was pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I can't even I can't even visualize that. <laughs> now, the, it, one more thing. So, um you folks are parents, and you have, I believe, a one and a half year old. Is that right, Kim?
2: Yeah, yeah. We have a wild one and. He's going to be one and a half next month, um, little boy.
1: And, and how did that? How did that change? I know both of you so well. You guys are both go getters. You, you mean you do a lot of work in the hospital, twelve-hour shifts. What was the biggest surprise about having your first child?
2: What you don't know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, I think every parent you know, says that. Yeah. That probably one of the funniest things that we'll laugh back on for years is um, we're holding this little meatball. And we're talking about two nurses. We all we were both nurses for a long time before becoming nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give him his first bath. We have both given hundreds of bed baths in our <laughs> life, and we're holding this little meatball. Going, are we supposed to use soap? Are we not supposed to use soap? It's just everything that you knew, you know, goes out, and mm-hmm. the worry and the responsibility is real. Um, I think that that I knew, obviously, that you're going to feel that way. I think people tell you parenting is hard and unexpected things. But um, yeah, that constant worry and making sure that you're doing the right
1: thing. Um, and the so, responsibility
2: of keeping this little dude alive is,
1: oh, yeah. is real. No, and so I you know, obviously, sleep is a or lack of sleep is a huge part of the uh, the rite of uh, the, the the passage of parenthood. So I gotta know at nighttime, what w- was was your husband Rich, my good buddy? was w- was he self-volunteering to get out of bed to be the good dad? Or did you have to give him the boot to make yeah. sure he gets out and do his job? <laughs>
2: you know what? I think in the beginning <laughs> It was like the baby wakes up, we both wake up, um, you know, tag team. And then that that shortly um, kind of fizzled down. And I will give it to him. I gave him the leniency pass on. I was um, nursing the baby, and I just didn't see. I was going to have to be up regardless. So why should someone else who could be getting sleep get up for the emotional support so um he was, well, he was i'm gonna give you a clap right beginning.
1: here Kim. i'm clapping over here
2: <laughs> but um i knew he would be there if i if i needed him to but at at one point there's if someone could sleep you might as well i'm gonna have to be up so um <laughs> there's no point to divide and conquer at that at that time so um,
1: well how we know, now. Think, but now
2: we'll see it's different with with baby number two, I'm
1: not sure. Ah, uh, see, Kim, you're thinking the way I'm thinking. You see, the, you see how we we steered the conversation to finally our topic, is it is about baby number two. And you know, when I saw you today, and you know, I told you I got my vaccine the other day, and you know, you're you're, you're pregnant. And how many weeks pregnant are you, Kim?
2: I am suffering from that baby <laughs> number two, that baby number two phenomena where you just aren't tracking things like you did with baby number one. No, um, I am 28 weeks, going into 29 weeks. So in the third trimester, um, chugging along.
1: So let me, you know, with that being said, did the mathematics, you know, when we talk about COVID-19, it really first came to fruition in the end of 2019. That's why it's COVID-19 for those who don't know. And obviously, we we, hear, we heard a lot about it in the January, February months of two twenty. So doing the math, you knew we we're in the middle of a pandemic. So how was that conversation with Rich or in yourself, with your family about getting pregnant during a pandemic? Can you just kind of give me some insight yeah. to that?
2: Yeah, I think that's really, I mean, everything about the pandemic is a little bit questionable and scary and how do we go on living our lives and do we let the pandemic um, really, you know, change how we live day to day? And yes, it is, it's changing how we live every day. But um, I think the bigger question, we're talking about our, our life and um, we both wanted our kids to be close in age. And I will say prior to the vaccine becoming available, really, I think we were all saying, what's the trajectory of this COVID-19? It's not going anywhere until we get a vaccine, get a lot of herd immunity. So um, I think a year ago, who knew when that was going to be? And I think we just made the decision for our family that, um, you know, we, we have a life that we foresee what we want. And that's kids who are close together. That's more than one kid. And Um, who knows if that's going to happen, when that's going to happen. So COVID-19 or not, we're in this all together and just kind of going day by day with how we adapt to our life and make our new life in the era of COVID.
1: So let me ask you this, you know, you know, when you had your first pregnancy, you know, you, you'd have your visits, your schedule, you know, uh, visits for the pregnancy to make sure everyone's doing great mom, baby. During this time around, are you doing more telemedicine visits and what has been the major difference between your interaction with your uh, doctor for the pregnancy versus your first pregnancy? Are, Are there things that you're missing out on?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I haven't, I don't even think I've reflected on that, really. Um,
1: That's my job. But, I reflect for you, Kim.
2: Yeah, <laughs> great question, Dr. Raj. Yeah, I, I will say, um, obviously, the experience of going to the doctors is a lot different just in how we come to work and the screening processes that go on, the PPE that you wear when you go in um, to the doctor's office, but I actually haven't had any um, telemed Appointments, um, and I think that's probably because with pregnancy they need to you're, they're they're treating two patients. They need yep. to assess that second that second patient, and the important things are you know hearing fetal tones, and you can't do that over telemedicine. So well I imagine said. Well said. <laughs> I, I imagine that's why they haven't mm-hmm. converted, but um, there were there were changes. And Rich couldn't, my husband couldn't come to my ultrasound appointment. You know, he, he,
1: uh um, Are you talking about the first ultrasound, the first ultrasound appointment? Yeah, you could, you uh, could. Oh my God, I'm a little, yeah. sick. Kim, I got to, I have three kids, everyone, Dr. Raj has three kids and I mean, that's a hand-holding moment right there. Am I right, Kim? This is the yeah. husband and wife tear up moment. What, yeah. Did you, did you feel a little yeah. lonely?
2: So. I mean, I knew, I just think that I appropriately tried to um, change my expectations knowing that we're in a pandemic. And on the other hand, having the healthcare background and experience of knowing that healthcare providers are at risk and every time you have more visitors, um, you're putting the people who work in the offices at risk. So I think I'm able to adjust my expectations but yeah, I mean that's it's sad because yeah. exactly it's a it's a um, moment. But um, yeah, they let us FaceTime the video, which is is again not the same as seeing it. But yeah, only only the patient mm-hmm. was able to do the ultrasounds. So I had two ultrasounds, and it was the same. No no visitors, and then um, he there was no visitors at appointments um, for the first initial little bit, and then as COVID numbers were going down and things were reopening you were able to have one support partner so he did come to a couple appointments and then now it's back to being no visitors so of course of um,
1: course
2: yeah we'll see come march which is my big fear is if um the hospitals will be allowing support
1: Well, let no, me ask I'm not you thinking that. about that yet. And no, of course not. Of course not. So, you know, when you uh, get a chance, of course, I'm sure you asked many questions, you know, to, to your doctor about the pregnancy. What are some of the main COVID questions that go through your mind that you need that reassurance? And if you can't come up with questions, I'll ask you if you've asked this one, but what are the ones that came out of your mouth that you're like, I want some reassurance here?
2: Yeah. So I work in the ICU. Is it okay if I continue to work in the ICU? Um,
1: Ooh, nice I worked, one.
2: I worked um with my last pregnancy. I my baby was um overdue by a week and a half, and I worked past my due date. You know, I didn't leave work prior to delivering or anything like that. And again, that's probably what I will expect to do with this pregnancy. So um, you know, sitting back and just being pregnant was not really my cup of tea. Um so I had always planned on working my entire pregnancy so yeah I wanted to make sure as this was coming about I'm going to be working in the hospital I will do my part to be as you know cautious as I can but is it okay
1: All right let me let me let me quiz you because we've rounded together and you know I just can't help but I love asking questions So if I were to ask you Kim are are pregnant women more susceptible to COVID-19 are at higher risk for complications. How would you answer that question?
2: I would say that
1: you hate I've done some research.
2: <laughs> I've done some research on my own because I am in that risk group yeah. and that, yeah, there's been um, information that shows maybe not the susceptibility, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, the susceptibility of getting COVID might not be different, but if you do contract COVID while you're pregnant, the risk, for severe complications or severe illness is definitely higher than the normal
1: population. You know, this is exactly why I love when we round together. We complement very well. And the answer is correct. You know, generally no. People, uh, pregnant women are not more susceptible to get COVID. I like how you corrected yourself so nicely. There were studies comparing pregnant women of the same age to non-pregnant women and of course you may have a slightly tougher course for a variety of different reasons due to the pregnancy itself but you're right that you know there's a slight increased risk of pregnancy complications of course you know the one i wanted to mention for many of the people listening is you know could you have a little preterm labor And that's always going to be one of those things and the reason why i'm getting a little medical out there so i apologize for my listeners is that sometimes When you have preterm delivery, sometimes you need a little steroids. And we know that if you give steroids in people with mild or no COVID-19, it's not really what we want to do, you know? So there's always these big questions that we bring up. So let me ask you this question, Kim. This is one of my favorite questions. You know that being in the hospital definitely puts you at risk for, you know, contracting, being affected by, you know, novel coronavirus. So did you ever consider a home birth instead of uh, going to a hospital? And did that ever come in in conversation with your husband?
2: So pre-COVID, I would tell you never, ever (laughs) would I consider a home birth. I am far too, you know, medically... um, Driven medically inclined. I like the hospital setting. I feel safe in a hospital setting. Um, and I would, for other many other reasons, just not um, entertain a home birth. However, I will say that with the idea that, um, you know, a partner might not be allowed into the hospital when you're yeah. giving birth. I, I think I would have to really consider, and I have, I've, you know, thought if if we hear in, in February that COVID is, you know, rampant more so than it is now and hospitals, while all hospitals, I think in the LA area aren't allowing visitors, there are some exclusions. And one of those I think right now still is allowing a, a support partner for one person for a pregnancy. Sure. Um, but if that were to change, I, I think I would c- maybe consider a home birth because I just think the birth of, of a child, that experience for both parents, um, yeah. a father not to have that because, you know, they're not able to go into the hospital and God forbid something were to happen. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's just, it's, it's a tough question. And I know
1: you know, and just speaking out of my, my personal experience, you know, I've been through this three times, are all so special. You know, you're right. There's always that moment where, you know, you worry about mom, you worry about the baby, and you're just so happy to be there. And, you know, I would answer the question the exact same way. Um, and you know what, if you, you need to put out a a, a, a search for a midwife or doula for you, Kim, you let me know if we need to get you on. I'll be happy.
2: (laughs) We'll we'll see come like, you know, February, if if it's starting to look dire out there, I might be reaching out for Uh, one of your OB friends who's off work that weekend.
1: (laughs) Well, let's talk about, you know, the, the, the big topic, you know, and this is what really spawned this, this podcast was, was the vaccine and, like I, like I mentioned, I got mine. Did you get your, uh, and I asked you, did you get yours? And, you know, I'm sure you had this discussion with your doctor. So let's start off with saying in general, do you feel safe getting the vaccine? Is this something that's important to you and how are you going to proceed?
0: Yeah.
2: So number one, I do feel safe getting the vaccine with a big asterisk and I'll explain that. Okay. Um and yes, I sw- I did have a discussion with my um OBGYN about it. And yes, I will be getting vaccinated. So All right.
1: Where, where do you want to start? Back to the asterisk Yeah, I think uh, I think pre- safety
2: okay. is a big because yeah. that I mean as a mother and as a pregnant female, I think the main thing that I always am thinking about and worrying about is whatever decision I'm making, is this the right decision for my kid? And yes. you know, my son, is this a good decision? Is, is it safe for him? Is it okay for him? Um, I thought that throughout my pregn- pregnancy with him and the same thing for this baby, um, you know,
1: as wait, wait, one, one second, Kim, you said this baby and I didn't ask this. so I apologize. Do we know the gender? Yes, we do. I don't, are, we, did I tell are, you? are we allowed? Are, is this is this is this the gender reveal on the Dr. Ron show?
2: Well, this is a safe way to do it. We don't go lighting up any part of California or anything <laughs> like that, so we can do it. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we're equaling out the estrogen in the household. Nice.
1: And having a girl. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um, so. So now we can use we can use our pronouns. So. Yes. You want to do what's safe for her? Yes. So I think
2: that's, that is yeah. that is the number one thing. And I would say, I'm sure for all pregnant women, um, yep. Yep. I don't really think, is it safe for me? My main concern is, is it safe for her? Um, I have, you know, I him if I have a headache, I him and haw over, should I take this Tylenol? You know, yeah. they say it's okay yep. to take Tylenol in pregnancy, but can I just, you know, suck it up? Do I really need to take it? So yeah. yeah. I think about those kind of things on a daily basis. And now we're getting to the point that we're talking about a vaccine that has not been, let alone tried in pregnant women. We don't have long-term data for the general um, <laughs> population. Well said. So I think it, of course, the idea of, is this safe for me, but is this safe for my baby um, is the number one thing on my mind. Um, and that's kind of what I went over and over. But I think that, at least for me, it depends on how you define safety. And when I was trying to figure out, is this safe? And with the information that we have, how am I going to come to that conclusion of if it's safe is um, for me, I just whittled that down to um, the known risks and the known benefits. Um, And it's really just weighing those risks and benefits. And like many you know, people in a medical setting, we like data and we like to come yeah. to yeah. we like to come to decisions based on data. And unfortunately we don't have maybe enough of enough of that to feel a hundred percent confident in a decision right now, but I have to take what we have and make the best decision. So for me, just knowing that in terms of safety risks, there hasn't been data to say that this is unsafe for the general population. We don't have long-term data, but yeah, it's not, we don't have any reason to think that it is unsafe or, or a higher risk. And the biology of the way the vaccine works, um, which is, I think, why at least ACOG and Society of Maternal Freedom Medicine say that it shouldn't be limited if a pregnant person wants to take it, is because the way that it works, there shouldn't be. We shouldn't think that there's reason that it's going to pose harm
1: um, and, and you know, Kim. Let me. I think you set me up. I want. I want to kind of like show off a little bit because. Please. Oh, thank you, Kim. Thank you. You know, it's going to be. You said the way it works, and for those who don't know, I mean, the these two new vaccines—one from Pfizer, one from Moderna—these are messenger RNA vaccines, and you know, this is quite a difference to uh, from the way vaccines were traditionally made, where you're giving sometimes the virus itself, whether it's live or whether it's killed or weakened or parts of the virus. And here, you're just giving a little bit of the blueprints. And what we're targeting is this spike protein, you know, the spike protein on that coronavirus. We're giving our own cells the blueprints to make this spike protein so our own body makes antibodies against it. But the teaching point, the key point, and Kim, just get my back on this, is that you're not actually getting a virus. You can't catch COVID-19 from the vaccine itself, Is, does that provide you with that kind of somewhat, at least educational security that you're not going to be sick from it? Is Did I speak correctly there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, definitely from everything that I've read thus far and the conversations that I've had with um, my OB. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, the safety of it, yes, long term, we will see. Um, but from the data that we have right now, which is what we're basing decisions off of, um, there's no reason to think that that it's going to be unsafe. Um, so then I flip over to the other side of um, well, also still in safety. We, I do have data to say that COVID is risky in pregnancy. If I were to contract it, and I am considered yeah. a priority group or a high risk group because I work in a healthcare setting, um, so. We do have data to say that there is a risk for, for contracting and getting sick and admitted to the ICU and end up on mechanical ventilation, um, which are things that I do not want. So, you know, I, there's known risk in that. And then, you know, there's, there's questionable known risk in the vaccine.
1: Um, and, you know, Kim, we talked earlier about, you know, let's just compare it. You know, we always seem to be comparing, you know, novel coronavirus with influenza virus, you know. And let me ask you, did you get your, your flu vaccine this year? I sure did. And you should. And everyone listening to this podcast who's pregnant should get the flu vaccine. And. You know, and this is not even a messenger RNA vaccine. This is what we call a weakened, killed influenza virus. And we don't even hesitate to do that because of what you said, which is if you get the flu when you're pregnant, bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not apples for apples, but, uh, you know, I definitely feel that we know the urgency of not getting sick during pregnancy and the thought of even ending up on the ventilator So I just want to promote you, Kim, that I agree with you. I don't want you to get sick or anyone to get sick. And I think you should get the vaccine, you know?
2: I think what you just said about the flu vaccine kind of goes to my point, um, another reason about why I feel, you know, comfortable getting the vaccine. Um, And that is one of the reasons, which is definitely known, that getting the flu vaccine for pregnant women is beneficial, is because you provide your baby with passive immunity through your placenta. Um, Ah. and babies under six months can't get the flu vaccine. So they rely on mom's antibodies and mom's immunization and mom's antibodies and passive immunity to give them immunity for the flu. So we don't think twice about doing that. um, because yes, I want to protect my baby during flu season. And I mean, (laughs) mind blown, the amazing (laughs) ability of the body and to provide antibodies to your baby through the placenta in that way um so for me also you know thinking about my baby is if i get this vaccine the hope that i will be able to pass some immunity on to her knowing that we are not going to have any approvals for childhood vaccines i doubt anytime soon um yeah. for COVID. So this is kind of, I I feel like it's kind of a window that I might be able to provide her with some immunity, which is a huge benefit.
1: um, Oh, Kim, that was, I like that sound effect, mind blowing right there, you know, and it is because the vaccines we have now are approved for 16 years of age and older. And I just want to clarify something. You mentioned the word passive immunity and maybe some people listening to this podcast are not really sure what that means. Active immunity means that you make your body work. They're going to make the antibodies passive immunity is we're just giving you antibodies directed against a certain virus, such as COVID-19. So Kim is spot on and a great mom because if she could get those antibodies against COVID-19 crossing the placenta to the baby to protect the baby, that's going to be amazing. I think that's going to be wonderful and then who knows, maybe that might even spawn the baby to make some immunity of, uh, of her own. So I think these are just amazing things right now that we're talking about. So let me ask you this, when the time came to make the decision, I don't think you got the vaccine yet, um, who was the core people involved in your final decision? Is it the doctor you and, and your husband? Is it going to be just you? And did you make a final decision already?
2: Yeah. So I brought in um, my husband because like I told <laughs> him when I asked him, I had kind of, I'll tell you the truth. I already had kind of made up my mind. Um, okay. I kind of made up my mind that I said, I'm going to shoot it to my OB and curbside herb. Okay. Um, I imagine that we're going to be aligned in our thinking because she's very reasonable, rational, and I know okay. follows guidelines and, you know, the best evidence-based medicine that we have. So I was thinking she was going to be on the same page that I was. So I had actually asked her first and I had kind of thought of it already my answer. Um, And she told me, I had, I had asked her, I know there's some gray zones. I know this wasn't um, tested in pregnancy. And you know, the trials didn't include pregnant women, but um, I will lean on you for a recommendation. And she just told me, yes, get it. Like point blank, pretty much, and I felt but, very good about that um, confidence from her. But after we, I had kind of already had this discussion. Then I thought, huh, I should probably <laughs> bring in my husband because at least he's half owner of this baby, right? So well, while so. there are some posed risks, I should probably have that discussion. So we did. We had the discussion.
1: Good.
2: Um, and I think both of us ended on the same conclusion that if. If it is going to potentially decrease my chance of contracting severe COVID, that's a benefit. But also, if this is a window where we could maybe give the baby some um, immunity, that's not 100%. I think the studies will come out later whether you know pregnant moms who received the vaccine yep. got um, immunity for the baby. But if that's a potential benefit, that is really huge.
1: No, I agree. And, and when, when, when is your day? Are you getting it today right after this podcast? Is it tomorrow? When are you getting the shot?
2: My scheduled day will be on Monday. I was actually scheduled today, but I had to, um, I had my pregnancy Tdap vaccine within two weeks. And one of the recommendations, um, just a blanket recommendation from the manufacturer was no vaccines within 14 days. Okay. It will be Monday. That's
1: interesting. Okay.
2: Monday for me.
1: Uh, are you a little nervous?
2: Yeah, I, I I am. I think you know my husband got the vaccine, and he said he was you know believes in it. Um, knew that that's what he wanted to do, but he was a little nervous. Were you a little nervous?
1: You know, um, I'll be lying if I said I wasn't. You know, I think this is like you said a new vaccine, but you know, in my heart, I think beyond doing the right thing and and you know not overwhelming our healthcare system. I really feel that we need a lot of role models right now to say that, hey, it is safe. I want to get herd immunity the right way. And if me getting the vaccine encourages two or three other people to get the vaccine and they encourage other people, it's worth it because we need to put an end to this, Kim. I'm telling you, yeah. I, I'm getting tired of this, you know, COVID pandemic and people suffering in ICUs, being having no beds available. So this is a step in the right direction. But yes, I, I, I was nervous a little bit. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think we would all, I think we would all be lying if we said we weren't, but you know, hopefully this is all on the right side of history in a way. It's it's something nope. new and um what we're all dealing with as a country and as a world um dealing with this pandemic, something has to be done and exactly what you said, I think that at least we have our part um as leaders and role models to say if this is something we believe in, we should
0: we all should right. lead the way. Well,
1: I have only two fun questions uh, for you left. And the first question is, do we have a name for this beautiful baby?
2: We do not. And that is an honest, an honest no. statement. And I'm getting, pretty, <laughs> I'm getting pretty nervous about that. Hopefully something will come to me in the next, you know, eight weeks. But well, as of right partner. now, she's nameless.
1: Well, I'm going to tell my listeners that if you have uh, any any names you want me to throw out to this wonderful nurse practitioner and friend of mine, uh, send them to our website. I'd love to pass them on. And yeah,
2: next- I'm reading lists of names. So okay. anything anybody's got, shoot it my way. Something's going to stick.
1: And the last question is going to be, you know, I mean, I definitely enjoyed having you here today. I know I, I kind of caught you off guard and said, you're going to do this podcast with me. That's how much I like you. Um, would you mind coming back on the podcast, maybe, you know, after the baby is born and let me know how things are doing and give us an update on how's it like during the second child?
2: Yeah, let's do it. We'll see how <laughs> delivery went at hopefully not the height of the pandemic and yep. how everything's going post-vaccine and two babies. Two, two under two is what they call it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, Kim, you are amazing. And thank you so much for being on the Dr. Rod Show. You are truly the best.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay. Bye bye, Kim. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breidegan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.